0: Before I read Psalm 34, let me just remind you what the Psalms are all about. I've given you that summary of the Psalms at the top of your notes. I give it to you every week, written by Kendall Easily. He says, God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion in personal or community life. He says, Hey, wait, how would you sum up the major theme of the 150 chapters that we call the Psalms? Because these were chapters that are really hymns, they were written to be used in corporate worship among God's people. And so the question is, what's the major theme of all these different hymns? And the major theme is right there in your notes. The the theme is that God is worthy of praise and prayer whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. And God is worthy of your trust and confidence whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley. Uh, God is worthy of your trust. And so the Psalms are wonderful because they deal with all different types of emotions and people going through different situations. But in it all, God is worthy of praise, and God is worthy of trust, and the Psalms remind us of that reality. We've come to Psalm 34, a great psalm. I want to just read it uh, to you. Psalm 34, I've titled this psalm, Taste and See. And what you'll notice as we work through this psalm is you'll notice some very familiar verses, verses you've probably heard before, quoted or used in in a context. So just kind of look for those verses as we work our way through this text. Psalm 34, notice the small letters there right before verse 1. It says, this is a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. So we'll talk about what that all entails as we work our way through the psalm. But it's a historical detail from 1 Samuel. So we'll read that story a little bit later to kind of get a feel for what was happening uh, as a backdrop when David uh, wrote these words. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise And delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. So, just quick survey. Uh, What are some of the verses that we just read that jumped out at you, that you've heard before? What are some familiar verses from that psalm? See any familiar ones in there? What, Taste and see the Lord is good. That's a really well-known psalm. What else? Fifteen. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. Yeah, well-known thought. Which one? Eighteen. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's an oft-quoted verse. Any more you see in there that are, that are psalms, uh, verses that you hear quoted? Verse 20? Let's see what verse 20 says. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Okay, verse 20, yeah. Sometimes used in reference to, uh, there's a question about if it's prophetic or not, yeah. What's that? Verse 4? Let's look at verse 4. I sought the Lord, he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Yes, well-known verse. What about verse 7? You ever heard of verse 7 before? Isn't that a cool verse? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So, a lot of familiar verses in here. And I want to show you the theme that ties these familiar verses um, together. First thing you need to know about Psalm 34 is this is a Hebrew acrostic, which is a form of poetry that the Hebrews love to use. An acrostic basically takes starts with the first letter in the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. And it starts the sentence with that first letter. Then the next little section starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it just works its way through the alphabet. Uh, and so the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. So if you're reading this in Hebrew, the first sentence would start with the word Aleph. The next sentence would start with the word Bait and the next, Gimel and Dalit and Hay and Vav and Zion and Kate Tate, Lamed, mun, Mim, Num, Samek, trying to remember my seminary. Uh, these different Hebrew words, uh, uh, letters. And so this is a, a Hebrew acrostic, which means there's some thought behind this, some some organization that David puts into this. These are not random thoughts. David is thinking deeply about a situation and, uh, and writing some thoughts in relation to that. Now, there are three directions that we see David speak in this psalm. I want you to notice who David is speaking to in Psalm 34, and we'll get some some help to know how this psalm applies to our lives. And so three directions that we see David speaking. First of all, notice David speaks to himself. He speaks to himself. You're going to uh, hear in just a moment a biblical rationale for talking to yourself. Isn't that good? See, some of you just thought you were crazy, but you're not. All right, there's biblical rationale for talking to yourself. So David speaks to himself. And how does he do that? Well, first of all, he stirs himself up to praise God. Look what it says in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes us boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. So notice David's talking about himself. He's talking about his soul, talking about his mouth, praising God at all times. It's as if David is reminding himself that God is worthy of worship and praise. And so he's speaking to himself so he can stir up his heart for worship. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes you can come to a point of worship and your heart not be in it. You ever been there? You ever... You ever just gone through the motions before? You get, you, maybe you come to church or you're having your Bible reading time by yourself and your heart's just not in it. You, it's mechanical. You just kind of go through the motions. You feel kind of dry and kind of stale and, and, and you come and eh, not much to it. Uh, listen, we are emotional creatures. We have good days, we have bad days, we have moments where we're doing great, moments where we feel our weakness and frailty. I mean, we're just, you know, we're just kind of weak, aren't we? I mean, and life is tough and life is hard. And so we're not always going to feel like worshiping and, and feel like being excited and exuberant. Uh, and, and the feelings aren't always um, commensurate with our faith in the Lord. And so we learn something from David here. When you're experiencing those dry seasons, those dry moments, those mechanical moments in your walk with the Lord, try talking to yourself and, and reminding yourself how much your soul uh, should be praising God. Reminding yourself of how worthy God is of your worship and praise. Taught you to say, hey, uh, soul, st- be stirred up. God is worthy of worship. Let's go and give him the praise that he deserves. And so he stirs himself up to praise God. And then secondly, he reminds himself of why God is worthy of his praise. If you're finding it difficult to praise God, if you're finding it Difficult to be engaged in heartfelt worship. Maybe you need to stop and remind yourself of all that God has done. I believe that's why that old hymn was written. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done, right? Count your many blessings. And if we find ourselves in a season of life where we don't feel like praising God, our heart's not in it, we're just going through the motions, our our emotions are not engaged, spend some time counting your blessings. And if we will spend some time, like David, counting our blessings, then our heart begins to catch up with our faith, right? And our heart begins to be engaged. So look what David does uh, uh, in in verse 4. The first blessing, the the first reason he reminds himself that God is worthy of praise is answered prayer. Look in verse 4. He says... I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man talking about himself, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. If you follow uh, themes throughout the Psalms, you will see as a continual theme in the Psalms that the psalmist just can't get over the fact that God answers their prayers. It's like they're just amazed that, you know, I called out. And God heard, and he answered me. And you see the psalmist repeating this theme all the time. God is out there, I had a need, I prayed, God answered. And the psalmist are amazed by answered prayer. I wonder if you and I have lost our our wonder over answered prayer. I, I, I wonder if we've lost our sense of awe that the God who spoke the universe into existence turns his ear to hear you as his child when you pray. When you go to God in prayer through your relationship with Jesus Christ, God listens to you as if you're the only person on this planet. He gives you that kind of attention, that kind of focus, and he answers your prayers. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing how God does it. I've actually heard people say through the years, you know, I am not going to bother God with my stuff. You know, really... My life is inconsequential. I just live in this little corner of the world and yeah, I've got issues, but you know, God's busy running the universe, so I'm not gonna bother God. You ever had that kind of thought before? Heard somebody say that I'm not I'm not gonna bother God. Listen to me. God is God, He can handle everybody coming to him with their needs. And He can respond to you as if you're the only person on the earth. He can answer your prayer while simultaneously answering my prayer. Isn't that cool? So you're never burdening God. He's not too busy for you. He cares about your needs. And he's capable of, of turning his ear, inclining his ear, hearing you and responding to you and answer prayer. And David says, isn't it awesome? If I'm wondering why God needs praise for my life, isn't it awesome that he answers me when I pray? Now look what he says there in verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord. He answered me, delivered me from all my fears. That word fears... In the Hebrew language, it could be translated terrors. David's going through some tough stuff. And he is just so overjoyed that when he prays, God hears him in the midst of his terror. Now, there's another reason that David mentions God is worthy of praise. And it is protection. Protection. He says there in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them, speaking of the protection of the Lord. Now what's he referring to here? He's referring to a specific situation in which he encountered God's protection. And he mentions it there in the small letters before verse 1. It says, This is the psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Now what in the world is that talking about? Well, hold your place but turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. This is a crazy story, all right? I mean, it's just just a wild story. But I want you to see it, because it helps you understand the psalm better. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. To give you a little bit of background, Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was insanely jealous of David, because David had so much success, and people loved David, and uh, applauded David and Saul was mad with jealousy and so Saul began to hunt David down. Saul wanted to kill David. And look what happens in verse 10. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, does Gath mean anything to you? That, that location, Gath, anybody think anything that happened in Gath or anybody that came from Gath? Or Here are the Philistines? Goliath. Goliath came from Gath. And you remember what David did with Goliath, right? Before this story, David slew Goliath. And so I'm assuming there were some folks in Gath that weren't big fans of David. Right? But David is so desperate to get away from Saul, he goes to the enemies. He goes to the Philistines, to the hometown of Goliath. Incredible. So look what happens when he gets there. The servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? By the way, in Psalm 34 it mentions Abimelech. Some people believe Abimelech is another another name for Achish. So it's talking about the same person. The servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so the people, when David shows up, say, You know what? This guy... Fights for the Israelites. He killed our champion. He could Goliath. Uh, people know he's a great warrior. So should we trust him hanging out with us in Gath? And then David says, uh-oh, I think they're on to me. So look what happens in the next verse. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. So... So that David will not be killed by these enemies, he acts like a madman. And look what happens next. Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see this man is, the man is mad? Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? I thought I always thought that was funny. The king's like, I have enough bad men around here. Enough crazy folks. Don't bring me another crazy person, all right? That's what he's saying. Shall this fellow come into my house? David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adjulam. And that's where he was, again, protected by the Lord. And so David, out of desperation, flees to Gath, a king of the Philistines. Achish is there, and his life is in serious jeopardy. And in the midst of that, David is praying for God's deliverance. He knows that his life could be taken. Psalm 34 is about this. Hey, I was in the middle of a jam, and I cried out to God, and he delivered me. Now, how did God deliver him? Well, he gave him the wisdom to act like a madman. That's, that's the way God delivered him. And, and God got him out of there so he could get to the cave of Adullam. So if you go back to Psalm 34, look what it says in verse 7. Keeping all that in mind, Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord, David in encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So David is saying, the reason I didn't die in Gath, the reason no one took my life is because God was watching over me. The angel of the Lord is encamping around me to keep me from harm. And, and I believe David didn't believe that God gave him the wisdom to act like a crazy person. Now, notice what it says there in verse 7. The angel of the Lord. It doesn't say the angels of the Lord. It says the angel of the Lord. That's singular. And some scholars believe that is a reference to the pre-incarnate Christ, the leader of the angelic host. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon writes about this. The covenant angel, the Lord Jesus, at the head of all the bands of heaven, surrounds with his army the dwellings of the saints. Like hosts entrenched, so are the ministering spirits encamped around the Lord's chosen to serve and secure, to defend and console them. On every side the watch is kept by warriors of sleepless eyes, speaking of angels. And the captain of the hosts, which Spurgeon says is Jesus, is one whose prowess none can resist. We little know how many providential, listen to this, We little know how many providential deliverances we owe to those unseen hands which are charged to bear us up lest we dash our foot against a stone. You know what Spurgeon's saying there? He's saying God sends his angels, the the, the host of heaven, led by the captain of the host of heaven, Jesus, to watch over us. And Spurgeon's saying there's no telling how many times angels have kept us safe and we didn't even know it. And the illustration I love to use of this, you may have heard me use this before. If you have, just bear with me. But I'll never forget uh, my, my 10-year-old, who was he was just a little guy. He was probably just a, a toddler. And my parents had bought him one of those um, electric tractor toys. You know, you get on it and it has a little gas and a little steering wheel and, and he could drive that thing. And one day we were in the driveway and he had the pedal to the metal. And he was driving that little tractor and I was just walking along beside him. And, and he was headed right for the bumper of my truck. And, he, you know, the bumper would have caught him right about the head. And he was heading that way. And I, and I saw it come. I knew what was happening. And so we got near to the truck. And I just kind of bumped it with my leg. Just, just kind of bumped it and just kind of moved it a couple of times. He just kept dry. He had no idea I was doing that. And he just went right past the truck. Had no idea he was in danger. If I wouldn't have bumped the tractor over, he would have gotten really hurt when he ran into my truck. And I thought, I wonder how many times God does that for us. You know, we're just cruising along, doing our thing, and unbeknownst to us, there's an angel of God just, just bumping us over. Just, just bumping us over. So we miss danger that is out there. I, I believe when we get to heaven, one of the things that you and I are going to be amazed of is how God took care of us in this life. We don't even see it here. If we saw how dangerous things are around us all the time, we'd probably be terrified, right? We wouldn't leave our house. But, but God is always at work. I, I quoted it on Sunday that we're immortal until our work on earth is done. Right? God's watching over you. And David is saying, I was in the middle of enemy territory, the hometown of Goliath, the the middle of the enemies of Israel, and God preserved me, and I got out of there alive. And he says the, the angel of the Lord was the one who led the host of heaven to keep me safe. And so... David here is speaking to himself. He's he's reminding himself he needs to praise God, and he's reminding himself of why God is worthy of his praise. And so, again, biblical rationale for you to talk to yourself. Okay? Now, you need to watch out when you do it. Okay? Uh, But, but, you know, at appropriate moments, uh, it's okay to talk to yourself and remind yourself how good God is and remind yourself of your need to praise him. There's a second thing here. The second direction of David's speech. Not only does David speak to himself, David speaks to those that do not know God. David speaks to those that do not know God. Look what happens in verse 8. He's talking about how God had delivered him. And then he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So David is speaking to those that do not know God. And David does two things here. First of all, David calls others to place their faith in God. That, that metaphor, taste and see the Lord is good, uh, taking refuge in him, that means to trust God, to, to, to place your faith in God's protection and care uh, in your life. And so when he says, taste and see the Lord is good, he's saying, hey, appropriate God's goodness in your life. Taste and see he's good. I've tasted and seen he's good, David's saying. Now you can taste and see that he's good. Trust him as your God. Trust him as your deliverer. Trust him as your Savior. So David's calling others to place their faith in God. And notice, David doesn't do this from his high horse. Look what it says in verse 6. David's talking about his answered prayer from God. This poor man, speaking of himself, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. So David's not arrogant. He's not cocky. David's saying, I was a poor man. And God delivered me. God helped me out. And so I've tasted and seen God as good. I have a relationship with God. And it's awesome. He protects me. He provides for me. He's always with me. Hey, you ought to taste and see the Lord as good too. You know what David's doing here? David is doing evangelism. He's encouraging other people to trust in God the same way that he does. So that they can enjoy a relationship with God just like he does. And that's what evangelism is. Evangelism should be the overflow of all of our lives. If we have a relationship with God, we should exhibit to a watching world how good it is to have a relationship with God. And we should say to others, hey, you can have what I have. You can taste and see God is good the same way that I have. One of my favorite definitions of evangelism, and I think that's what's happening in this passage, is this. Evangelism... Is one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread? Don't you like that? Evangelism is not me saying, hey, I'm, a, I, I'm really good. I've got it all figured out. Be like me. Right? Or, I've got all the answers. Come to me for wisdom. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is saying, you know what? Apart from Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. My life's a mess. My family's a mess. I, I mean, i got real issues in my life, just like everybody. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Every one of us have issues, right? And evangelism is being honest about that. Hey, i got issues. That's why I need Jesus. And I've embraced Him as my Lord and Savior, and He's forgiven me, and He's changed me, and He's been with me every step of the way. And now you can have a relationship just like that, because Jesus loves you too. See the difference there? Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. It's not from a a high horse of religiosity. David saying, I'm a poor man, and God answered me. God is good. Hey, you can experience God too. That's what he's doing here in this passage. He's calling others to place their faith in God. But then he's calling others to fear God. Once you place your faith in him, then it's time to live for his glory. To live in a way that honors him. To fear God is the terminology. look what it says in verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. So once you're his child through Jesus Christ, and by the way, that's how we become his child. The Bible says we're all separated from God because of our sin, but Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty we deserve to pay. He died for our sins. He was buried early on the third day. He rose from the dead, which means he's alive today. And if we invite him into our life, as our Lord and Savior, then he forgives us and brings us into, brings us into a relationship with God. So if you want to be God's, one of God's people, if you want to be, be one of God's children, you follow Jesus. He's the only way to have a relationship with God, by placing your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you. So, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. He says there in the next verse, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, turn away from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. So David's saying, hey, fear God. Now, when you see the Bible use the terminology of fearing God, it speaks of a reverential awe. It speaks of, I respect God and His majesty to such a degree that I wanted to change the way I live. And if you want a definition of fearing God, it's in your notes. To fear God is to turn from evil and embrace good. That's what it means. Verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So how do you know if you're a God-fearing person? Hey, by the way, we used to use that, that terminology in our culture. I mean, 50 years ago, we said things like, such and such is a God-fearing man. When's the last time you heard somebody use that phrase? I hadn't heard it in a long time, unless I'm preaching it. Right? We don't use it anymore. But we used to use God, God-fearing all the time. We were a God-fearing nation. We, God-fearing family, God-fearing man, God-fearing whatever. Um, we don't use it anymore. But, but we need to get it back. Because those who fear God are those who turn from evil and embrace good. That's what it means to fear God. Verse 14. So how do you know if you fear God? Are you turning away from things that are evil? And are you pursuing things that are good, right, decent, holy? That's how you know if you're fearing God. If you're running after things that are evil and and running away from things that are good, then you don't fear God. Does that make sense? And we need more God-fearing people in our land, right? That turn from evil, turn to the Lord. And so David calls others to fear God in this passage. So David is speaking to himself. He's speaking to those that do not know God. But third, David speaks to those who know God or who do do know God and are struggling. David speaks to those who do know God and are struggling. He ends this chapter with a lot of encouragement and sensitivity. Look what it says there in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his, his children. His ears toward their cry. David wanted God's people that were singing the song, that were hearing the song, he wanted God's people to know some things about their relationship with God. And let me just give you these, these five things or four things that God, uh, I'm sorry, that David wanted them to know. Five things. Five things David wanted them to know. Number one, God sees. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. In other words, God always has his gaze directed at you in your life. If you're his child, God sees everything. God knows it all. God's watching. He's he's not a God that is distant and unconcerned with your life. God cares about every detail, every circumstance of your life matter of fact, the Bible says that God knows how many hairs are on your head. That's pretty intricate knowledge, isn't it? And the the psalmist says in Psalm 56, which, by the way, is a companion psalm of Psalm 34. Psalm 56, the Bible says that the Lord, listen to this, captures our tears in a bottle. Think about that. God knows every tear that streams down your cheek, and he knows what's behind that tear. And he cares. Incredible. God has a bottle of your tears. That's how, that's how much God is concerned with your life. God sees. And David's saying, hey, listen, if you if you're in a tough time like I was, if you find yourself surrounded and hopeless like I was in Gath, you need to know some things. God sees. He sees what you're going through. Secondly, God is on your side. Verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. And so God always does the right thing. God is is against the evil and he's for his children. So remember that if you ever find yourself surrounded by trouble and difficulty, that God is on your side. He cares about you. he's, He's working on your behalf. He's working in your life. He's working in your circumstances. God is on your side right? He's your Father. When you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is your Father, and your Father will never be against you. Now, he can, he can take you through some difficult times to get your attention, or allow difficult times to get your attention, but it's for your good, right? He cares about you. God is on your side. God is always doing what's best for you. And let me say it like this, and I, I can say this on the authority of Scripture, and I want you to hear me carefully. Based upon the authority of Scripture, God has never let you down. Never. I'm not saying you haven't gone through some stuff in your life, because I know you have and I have too. But God has never let you down. He's always been sovereign over your troubles. And he always has a plan in your troubles. And he always sustains you in the midst of your troubles. Even if you don't feel it, God is there. And so David is reminding those that sing this psalm, God's children. Hey, God sees. God is on your side. Third, God hears. Look in verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord what? Hears, delivers them out of all their troubles. God hears when we pray. If we really believe that, we would pray. I remember one night I was traveling back from Florida. I was by myself. I'd gone to uh, see my mom. She she was uh, in her uh, last days of her battle with cancer and and so I made a quick trip down there. I was coming back by myself, and uh, I found Adrian Rogers on the radio, and he was talking about prayer. And I'll never forget, I was in the middle of, I think, Alabama somewhere. It was nine. I was tired. And I'll never forget him saying that that one day he was sitting at his desk uh, in his office, and he said he had the most astounding thought come into his mind. He said, life, sh- life-shattering life uh groundbreaking thought. I mean, just it, just, it just changed everything. He said, you want to know what it is? Of course, the congregation said, yeah, we will know what it is. He said, it's uh, it's going to surprise you how simple it is. and But people wanted to hear what he had to say. And he said, here's the thought that came into my, my mind that changed everything. Here it is. You ready? God answers prayer. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, if we really believe that, if we really believe, I mean, to the depth of our being, that God answers prayer, then I bet we would pray more than we do. I think one of the issues with prayerlessness is just unbelief. Either God's unconcerned or prayer's really not going to help my situation. Uh, I'm not gonna, I don't have time. I'm not going to fool with that. I'm going to try to fix it myself. Self-dependence, whatever. But listen to me. God Answers, prayer. And David's saying, when you find yourself in your gath, and and you're surrounded by difficulty, and you're surrounded by trouble, remember, when you cry out, God hears, and he comes to your rescue. And so, God hears. Here's the fourth thing, God is near. God is near. Boy, I love verse 18. I've quoted this verse many, many times to hurting people, and I've let this verse minister to my own heart. The Lord is near. Everyone say near. The Lord is near to who? The brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. Sometimes it is therapeutic to just remind yourself that when you are surrounded by difficulty, when you find yourself living in hopelessness, that God is right in the middle of that situation with you. He, in a way in which I can't fully articulate, God draws near to His people so they can sense His immediacy in the middle of trial. There, listen to me, there are ways that you experience God in trial, that you would not experience in God in other ways. In other words, it takes the hardship for you to experience God in certain ways. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. There's a wonderful song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that speaks of God drawing near to the brokenhearted. Let me just read you these words from this this song because it speaks so powerfully to the idea that when life is falling apart, God is near. Listen to what it says. When you think you've hit the bottom... And the bottom gives way. You ever been there? And you fall into a darkness no words can explain. And you don't know how you make it out alive. Jesus will meet you there. When the doctor says, I'm sorry, we don't know what else to do. And you're looking at your family wondering how they'll make it through. Whatever road this life takes you down, Jesus will meet you there. He knows the way to wherever you are. He knows the way to the depths of your heart. He knows the way because he's already been where you're going. Jesus will meet you there. The song goes on to say, When the jury says guilty and the prison doors close, When the one you love says nothing, just packs up and goes, When the sunlight comes and your world's still dark, Jesus will meet you there. When you failed again and all your second chances have been used, and the heavy weight of guilt and shame is crushing down on you, and all you have is one last cry for help, Jesus will meet you there. And finally, when you realize the dreams you've had for your child won't come true, when the phone rings in the middle of the night with tragic news, whatever valley you must walk through, Jesus will meet you there. God draws near to the brokenhearted, and that is a fact, a truth of Scripture, that we can cling to and rest in when we find ourselves in difficulty. Amen? The Lord draws near to the to the brokenhearted. You may be unsure of how your situation is going to turn out. You may be unsure of what's going to happen tomorrow. But there is one reality you do not have to be unsure of. God is right in the middle of your problem with you. And He cares. Which leads to the last thing. David wants God's people that are struggling to know. God sees. God is on your side. God hears. God is near and last. God delivers. Verse 18 The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Hey, by the way, walking with God does not assure calm waters. If you've heard a preacher say that, they are lying to you. Some of the people that have hurt the most in this life are those that have been the most faithful to God. Faithfulness to God is no guarantee of smooth sailing. I mean, just ask the Apostle Paul. He was faithful, right? And he was beaten, and he was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked four times. He went hungry and thirsty. I mean, he went through the ringer, and he was serving Jesus. So don't buy into this lie that, hey, if you're serving God, everything's going to be great in your life. No, that's not true. This life is difficult. Now, there are rewards for serving God in this life, and it's all going to be worth it one day when we get to heaven, but this life can be hard, Right? can be hard. No, there's no guarantees of smooth sailing, even for the righteous. So he says there, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. God delivers us through our trials, through our troubles, and David won't... Others to know, hey, the same way God got me out of gath and delivered me to safety, God will help you in your trouble too. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, So this is a psalm for poor men and poor women too. It is the psalm for all who are alone or destitute for you. If you have nothing at all or are not even sure that you will live long, it is for people who find themselves at the absolute low point in life, which is where David was. Or find themselves between a rock, which in this case was King Saul, and a hard place, which was King Akesh. It is for you, this psalm is for you, when everything seems against you. So the next time you feel like everything's against you, that you are in the middle of trials, and you just can't see how you're going to make it through, you need to go read Psalm 34. And you need to remember that he sees, he hears, he draws near, he delivers, God is right in the middle of the trouble with you. and He delivers the righteous from their afflictions. And we can trust that truth from Scripture. And so David is saying in Psalm 34, Hey, I have a relationship with God. It's meant everything to me. He rescued me from trouble. And the same way I've experienced God, you can experience Him too. Taste and see that the Lord is good.